Good morning, Rose Bowers. Good to see you in God's house today. If you're a visitor, we welcome you. We're going to begin. We're going to stand. We're going to sing some songs of worship this morning. We're going to start with At Calvary. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burden so found last my sin I learned then I trembled at the law I'd spurned till my guilty soul imploring turned to salvation's plan Oh, the grace that brought it down to man Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to me There my burden so found Crown him with many crowns. Crown him with many crowns. The Lamb upon his throne. Mark how the heavenly anthems drown all music but its own. Awake my soul and There he is. Better late than never. I wasn't late. I was in the nursery. Cut me some slack. Good morning. Welcome to Rosebar this morning. So happy to have you guys with us this morning. Um, I am. 
Wow. <laughs> so happy to have you guys with us this morning. Um, our traveler here from uh, Texas, good to have you today. Um, but we're so glad to have you. Um, we welcome you. Um, if you're not familiar with our facilities, restrooms right outside that door there. Um, but we're, you know, it's such a great day to be in God's house. Um, it's maybe a little cool outside. It's nice and warm in here. You've got a family that loves you in here, and we're happy to have you. This month we have a our March focus verse is um, Matthew five verses five through seven. It says, "Blessed are the meek." For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those that hungry and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this day. I thank you for just allowing us to come to your house to worship you, Father, to gather together as brothers and sisters. Um, it's so great just to be here, Father, to, to feel the love that we have in your house, Father. Um, I thank you so much for this family that, that has gathered together. Um, and as we look out across our world, Father, um, you know, there's others that are meeting this morning and to worship you, Father. We pray that we all do it in one heart, Father. Father, there's many that aren't meeting today, so I just pray that you be with each one of those. Um, bring them back to your house as soon as possible, Father. And we pray, Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as a personal Savior, today will be the day they accept you. Um, be with Justin this morning. Father, just take all the cares and the, the things of this world out of his heart and his mind this morning, Father, so he can focus on the word that you have for us. Um, we just ask that you just, same thing for us, Father, that we're able to focus on the message you have for us this morning. To learn more about you, to be able to use it, Father, as we go out into the world to share you with others. Again, Father, forgive us for we fail you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As the ushers are coming through the aisles to pick up the offering, we're all going to stand. We're going to continue in worship. This next song we're singing is our song of the month for this month. And I just really love this song. Um, this, re uh, this encourages me, reminds me that God is never changing. He's never failing. When, when everything else in this world changes all the time, we know our God never does. So let's sing, My God is Still the Same.
All right, kiddos, it is time to go to Children's Church. We got one more song we're worshiping with. Um, but at this time, if the kids have come forward and line up by the door, they're going to head off to Children's Church. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come into your house this morning together to lift up our voices 
and praise you. Praise your name for being faithful to us, Lord, to being the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, Lord, for loving us even though we're unworthy. And we do nothing to deserve the love from an almighty God. Lord, we just praise you this morning. We come together and lift up your name. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today through the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you'd embolden us to go out into this lost world and share the gospel, the good news that Jesus came here to save us. Lord, I pray for Brother Justin right now as he's about to stand before your people behind the pulpit and preach boldly your word. We love you. We praise you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Bibles with you. I want to ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. I want to welcome you to Time Change Sunday. I hope that it is treating you well. I want you to know who really does well with time change is children. They're really good at it. Okay, maybe they're not. Um, so we're praying for all you parents who have suffered the night and the kids and the nights to come with the sleep or no sleep that there may be. And we also want to welcome Denton Wood to be here with us. That's, that was the little gap and pause you heard from Jimmy just a few moments ago that Denton Wood is here with us all the way from Texas. Um, he wanted to come and see you guys so very much, so he comes in. Uh, his entire family was here with us. Uh, for about five, six years, I believe it was, as his father, Denny, was the worship leader here at Rosebier. Um, and so uh, Denton had played in the praise band as well. He was a drummer. If we would have known you couldn't come, you could have, Howie would have loved to have you drum for us. Um, but it is so good to have you back here with us uh, in this service. And uh, I've been keeping up with your family online and seem to be everyone doing so well. Uh, it's amazing to see how God is. Um, using y'all, even though you went to Baylor. I mean, you, you didn't go to, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we do love you guys dearly. Thank you for being here, but do get around to say hello to Denton uh, this morning. Uh, but Galatians chapter 5, we are continuing in our journey of walking through the New Testament together as we're reading through the New Testament. And this particular week's reading is Galatians 1 through Galatians 5. Um, the author is Paul. And, and what we're going to notice is Paul is very emotional in this particular letter. He's, he's very angry in this letter, if you will. And the reason why is fake, fake news had entered these churches. He's writing to a group of churches. There's four different churches that he's writing to. And it's Antioch, Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. So he's writing to these churches... And he's very emotional, he's very angry, if you will. It's one of his most passionate letters. And we see this even in, in chapter 1, he begins by saying, basically, you foolish Galatians. <laughs> Later on, he calls them foolish again. And then he says in chapter 2, who has bewitched you? How can you be so foolish? Why have you turned from the gospel so quickly? So Paul is telling us how he really feels in, in a very quick manner, which is unlike Paul. You see, Paul, in mo all of his other letters, he, he, he begins with a greeting. <laughs> Peace be with you. And, and, he, and he shares about his love and how he's thought about him, how he's prayed about him, prayed for him and cared for him. And so he begins with a passionate um, a greeting, but this time he jumps into the issue at hand. 
which is really interesting because Paul is also the author of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and that is a letter to the church of Corinth. What we know about the church of Corinth is it was messed up in all kinds of ways. They were filled with sin, uh, immorality, they had disunity, and they had bickering and fighting that was going on all inside the church. That was just what was happening inside the church. And he writes them, and he begins his letter with how much he loves them and thanks God for them, and how he sees how God has gifted them in so many ways. That's how he began his letter to the church of Corinth, who was filled with sexual immorality and sin and disunity. He begins that with love. But he begins Galatians with, you foolish Galatians. He begins with great urgency. He skips the formalities. He has passion. He's, he has anger. And the reason why we see a different response from Paul in the beginning of his letter to Galatia is because they were confused when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he jumps to the issue at hand is because they were confused when it came to the gospel. They weren't just messing up fighting or fussing, but they were missing the very heart of the gospel. You see, what had happened was a group of Judaizers had come to the churches and they began sharing a false gospel. And, and as they come to share this false gospel, they begin by trying to tear down Paul and, and, and trying to tear him down saying he wasn't an apostle who could be trusted. That Paul was only in the ministry for selfish gain, for wealth, and for prestige. Saying, you can't listen to this Paul guy because he's only in it for himself. And they said, you have to listen to us because we have been commissioned by the church at Jerusalem. So if there's anyone you want to listen to, it has to be us. We have the true gospel. And so they come in sharing a different gospel. And the gospel they were sharing is they didn't reject Jesus. But what they said was in order to be saved, you had to know Jesus, but then you had to follow the law and you had to be circumcised. So they had this idea that Jesus, yeah, he, he's part of your salvation, but to be fully saved, you must obey the law and you must be circumcised. So the Judaizers, they were not just causing trouble or problems. They were changing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So you can see why Paul is so upset that this is a serious matter. One not to be taken lightly. So Paul writes the churches at Galatia, not trying to change their behavior of saying, don't do this and do do this. He doesn't say, try harder, be stronger, believe more. But he writes them and he teaches them the gospel of grace. He begins the first two chapters defending his apostleship and how he is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, not because of who he is, but because Jesus Christ himself had appointed him. He's not a representative from human authority. He's not self-appointed, but he's been appointed by Jesus Christ. And the gospel that he teaches is not a story made up by man, but the source of the gospel itself is God himself. The gospel is not authored by man nor by churches, but it is authored by the creator of the universe. And then he begins to restate the gospel in chapters 3 and 4. He tells us that it's not by works, but by grace, through faith that you are saved. And then he states that the law has no power for salvation, that the law itself is nothing more than a tutor, nothing more than a teacher. And what it teaches us is that we are sinful in the need of a Savior. That's what the law's purpose is. The law is like a mirror that reveals our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. That's what Paul is pointing out, saying, how can you think the law will save you? The law has no power has no power to save you. Think of it, I guess in modern day terminology, think of it this way. There have been many people who have been diagnosed with cancer. And they will go to this MRI machine that will scan their body. And the MRI 
will tell you that you have a tumor or that you have cancer, but the MRI machine has no power to heal you. What does the MRI machine do? It tells you that you are sick. That's exactly what the law in the Old Testament teaches us about ourselves. We are sin sick and we need a Savior. That is what the law teaches us. The law is only a tutor. The law is only a teacher teaching of our real need and our need of a Savior. And then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul encourages the Christians to live free from the law and obedient to Jesus Christ. Don't return to the bondage and the slavery and the traditions of man and religion itself, but instead live in the freedom of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in Galatians chapter 5, it's the climax of the entire book. And I want to share that with you this morning. If you don't mind, stand to your feet as we begin reading in verse 1. Number 1, the Word of God. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. You ran well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is." And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Let's stop there and pray for God's help. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we pray now by the power of your spirit that you will use this word to speak to our hearts. Bind Satan from this place. Have your will in your way and help us to have gain understanding and a deeper love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The entire letter that Paul is communicating with us in our reading is that in Christ we are free. We are free from slavery. We are free from bondage. We are free from religion. We are free from man-made traditions. And by God's grace, we are now sons and not slaves. Tim Keller says this message that Paul is conveying is, is in this chapter is ultimately, um, I guess, summarized in, in two points. <laughs> that is this, do not lose gospel freedom and do not abuse gospel freedom. And I think that's a really good word for us to consider and think through this morning. I want you to think through, <coughs> we had also just got done reading the book of James, right? And the James, he was telling us about how important our works, our works are in our faith. That if you say you have faith but you don't have works, then your work is dead. Your work is demonic even. Um, it is a false faith if you're not working in your faith. But then we see now Paul, who seems like he's speaking the opposite of saying that if you say works are important in your faith, then you don't have faith. No, this is Paul and James standing back to back declaring the same truth. 
But you see, what I want you to see this morning, our human tendency, our natural tendency from humanity is for us to fall in one of two categories. And that is the category of our, salvations is, our salvation is based upon our effort and our work. That's what every religion in humanity is that we work for our faith except for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So our natural tendency is to work for our salvation. But then there's another natural tendency that we will, that we will slide into if we're, we go from one saying we have to work in order to be saved and then we go to the other. And that is the one that James was addressing, that we abuse the gospel freedom and that we say, all I have to do is say, I believe in God and I can live in my sin and be just fine and okay because God has covered me by His grace. And that is equally as damning. There is a holy tension that He teaches and He tells us to live within these two camps. We do not work for, for salvation, but instead we work from salvation. <laughs> and that we are saved by God's grace, absolutely. And that we are free to live in any way that we would want to live. But when you're truly saved by God's grace, you will want to obey Christ. You're not going to want to live in your sin. You're not going to enjoy your sin. You're not going to continue in your sin because the Holy Spirit of God will convict you in your sin. He will call you out of that sin to live for Jesus and not for yourself. So over the next few minutes, we're going to try to walk through that together. So number one, do not lose your gospel freedom. Do not lose your gospel freedom. And I want you to... An analogy that I thought of when I was thinking of this particular point of do not lose your gospel freedom, I think about the sport of basketball. We're right now entering into March Madness, right? We're fixing to have the NCAA basketball tournament, a single elimination tournament, where we're going to see who's the best team in college basketball, and, and, and it's going to be so much fun to watch these games and to see the upsets and all that kind of stuff. But you see, sometimes... There is a team that will be playing, and they will be winning. They will be winning the game by 10 or 15 points, but something will change. And they will go from playing really well, everything going in their favor, and there will be a slight change, and they will start playing what many will call playing not to lose rather than playing to win. And what that is in basketball is this. When you get about 10 or 15 point lead, and now there's only 10 minutes left on the clock, where now, instead of attacking the basket, going to the rim, taking the shots the defense gives you, this time now you're slowing the ball down. Some people call it stall ball. <laughs> where instead of being aggressive on offense, now you're being cautious. You're holding the ball. You're playing keep away from the other team, thinking that if I have the ball in my possession for longer, that's less time they can score on the other end. And so you're playing keep away from the other team. But what happens many times is when you stop playing the game in the way that got you the 10 to 15 point lead, now all of a sudden that 10 to 15 point lead starts to evaporate. Because what happens is the team that is now trying to hold the ball becomes nervous. They try not to make a mistake. They try not to throw the ball away. They try not to miss the shot when they shoot. And they become timid. They become concerned they're going to mess up. And they begin to worry that they're going to lose. You see, what Paul is writing about here in this chapter to a group of churches that are, that are now thinking about the law of God and having to obey the law in order to be saved. He said, when you do that, you are not, you are not living in the Christian freedom that Jesus Christ has purchased for you. Now, because just think about it. Think about our Christian life. If your salvation was dependent on how well you live today, how worried would you be? My knees would be shaken, right? Because I don't, know, I don't know all of you, 
like I know myself, but I know myself very well. And one thing I know about myself, I mess up probably more times than I get it right. And so if my salvation is built upon how good I am and how much good I do and how much not bad I do, then I'm going to be worried and I'm going to be tippy-toeing everywhere I go around because I'm going to be worried I'm going to do something and I'm not going to be saved anymore. And if I'm living my life like that, do you think that's what Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary for us to live like? To walk around this world, tippy-toeing around, concerned about every little detail and mess up. They're concerned that we're going to mess up and, 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 and fall from grace. No. That's not what Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for you to enjoy. He died on the cross of Calvary so that you may live with gospel freedom. And that is this, knowing and understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary and through His death, He purchased the opportunity for you to have life and life everlasting. And when you call out upon the name of Jesus and when you ask forgiveness of your sins and when, you, when He is Lord and Savior of your life, now we don't go through life worried and concerned about us messing up because now we we are saved by the grace of God and now we are robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what that means is you stand before God in this moment as if you've never sinned. Why? Because Jesus has purchased through the cross of Calvary. He has covered all of your past sins all of your current sins, and all of your future sins, that's how great and almighty Jesus Christ really is. Now, when I walk through life, I walk through life trying my best to live and obey Christ, but it's not so that I will be saved. It's because He has purchased my salvation on the cross of Calvary, and until my dying day, I want to live for Him. I want to live for Him. I want to give Him glory. I want to give Him honor. I want other people to know Him because of what He's done for me. Because now I'm not worried about doing wrong or messing up, slipping into legalism, tradition, or religion. That's what had happened with the Galatians. They had confused the gospel, and that's the whole point of the letter that Paul is writing. Even, and, and it's what he's saying, be careful. It's a, it's a caution to us. Because be careful, even when we're saved by God's grace, we can fall into this trap. We can fall into this idea of losing our gospel freedom if we don't live in a way that is based on the gospel. In that moment, we lose the freedom that the gospel offers. Now, please know and understand, in this passage, he's not in any way saying you can lose your salvation. He's not saying in any way... You can lose your, your, your salvation. That's why it's so important when you see a piece of Scripture that may cause a little confusion, a little doubt, that's when you back up a little bit, notice that one verse in light of the entire book and the entire Bible. Because did you notice, was it in verse 4 or 5, where it's speaking about the salvation? No, where it's, yeah, verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempted to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. There's a lot of people that that phrase, you have fallen from grace, they jump and say, see there, you can lose your salvation. You've fallen from grace. That means you can lose your salvation. But what did I just say? We're taking that one itty-bitty phrase and now we're changing an entire theology on a phrase. Your theology cannot be based on a phrase. Your theology has to be based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ in the entire Bible that He has given to us to have for us to know and understand Him. Right? One phrase, you've fallen from grace. Okay, what does that mean? Let's zoom out. What does that phrase in light of this letter in the entire book mean? What did I just say the entire letter about from Paul to the church of Galatia was about? grace gospel of grace he's just been telling them 
to live in gospel freedom. Don't be weighed down by the bondage and the slavery of tradition and religion. So verse 4 says you can, you've fallen from grace. <laughs> it's a tough passage to understand when we glance at it, but that's when we zoom out, look in the entire letter. We notice the entire letter is about the gospel of grace. Then the Judaizers had been coming, teaching a false doctrine. What was the false doctrine Judaizers were teaching? That you must be saved by Jesus plus circumcision plus the law. That's what they said. But Paul said, he's warning them, this is a false doctrine. He reminds them about the gospel of grace. What Paul says is Christ plus nothing equals salvation. So what does he mean here when you've fallen for grace? What he is saying is this. Anytime you attempt to justify, that is, anytime you attempt to be justified in Christ, that is, anytime you attempt that salvation is by the law or by circumcision, you are rejecting salvation by grace. And he's saying if that's true in your life, you're saying that you're saved, but you also are saying it's by works and by circumcision, then he's saying you were never saved in the first place. If you're saying salvation is by works and by circumcision, then your faith was never genuine because there is no one on planet earth who has been saved by works and by circumcision. We have only been saved by God's amazing grace through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and there's no other way of salvation. And so what he's saying is if you really believe that you're saved by works and by circumcision, then you were never saved in the first place. That's what he's saying. Because that's his entire point of the entire letter. Salvation is all of grace, none of ourselves. He's teaching this, that we cannot hold on to grace if we're living by our works. It's not about our merit, our achievements, our ability. Instead, your salvation is eternally secure because Christ did all the work that was needed on the cross of Calvary and your salvation is not based upon your efforts. Your salvation is based upon Jesus' effort on the cross. So stop working for salvation and start working from salvation. That's what James is saying. Now you're working, absolutely, but it's not for salvation. It's from salvation. If you know Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you are eternally secure in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5, he goes on right after saying that you've fallen. He says this, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait. Notice that. Like, if he just got done saying that you've fallen from grace because you can lose your salvation, what would his next verse be? That through the Spirit you would eagerly work. That ain't what he says in verse 5. What do you do? Eagerly wait. What are you waiting on? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> for we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. How? By faith. By faith, not by works. That's what he's making clear. Paul is encouraging the Galatians to stand strong in their freedom that is secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So don't lose your gospel freedom that Jesus died for, but instead live in the freedom of the gospel that has been purchased by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So then he shifts gears in verse 13. And he goes from this idea of do not lose your gospel freedom and he is hammering it home. But he understands that when you're hammering home the gospel freedom that you don't work for your salvation, there's always a chance and a possibility someone's going to take it to the extreme and the opposite extreme. And that is the camp that we discussed about over here. Saying that, yeah, I'm saved by God's grace. I live in gospel freedom now. I can live in any way that I want to. So now I can sin as much as I want to sin because God's grace is greater than my sin and He died for me and all of my sins has been covered so I'm going to live it up in my sin. Paul knows as much as he's hammering it home on here, there's going to be some that hear what he's saying and they're going to go over here. And they're going to say that I can live in my sin because Jesus died for me and salvation is not by works. What he says is, that's not right either. <laughs> that's not right either. 
That's not right under. He, when he is preaching the freedom that is found in the gospel, some may take it the wrong way. They can live in any way they want, but that logic misses the entire point that Paul is trying to make in the gospel of grace. What the truth of the gospel tells us is two things. Number one, the gospel does not lead us to a guilty life. Like, when we're living our life in gospel freedom, we're not constantly timid, worried, and fearful, and full of guilt because of the sin in our life. That is not the freedom that has been purchased for you. But at the same time, the gospel freedom that's been purchased for you does not lead you to live an unholy life. See the difference? It's not going to leave you full of guilt, but he's also not going to live a sinful life. That is the truth of the gospel. It is the holy tension that is between both of these extremes. Being that we are saved by God's amazing grace, we are saved wholly and freely by the grace of God, it is that grace that gives us the reason to love God, serve God, and work for God, to obey God. That will give us more, um, more gumption to work for God than ever before. The gospel does not free you to live, or it do, actually it does. The gospel does free you to live in any way you possibly want to live. But if you're truly saved by God's grace, you will not be led to live for yourself. Instead, the Spirit will lead you to live for Christ. That's what it says in Galatians 2 and verse 20. No longer it is I that lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And when the Spirit of God lives in us, He leads us to live a life that brings glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel does away with our selfish motives. The gospel motivates us to obey Him and to follow Him, not out of duty and obligation, but out of love. Because Christ so loved you, and now you see His love for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and now you respond because of the love that you have for Him, you respond in obedience. So Paul is encouraging the Galatians, do not lose your gospel freedom. Do not abuse your gospel freedom. This is the message of the gospel, that by the blood of Jesus Christ, you are no longer a slave to sin, you are no longer a slave to Satan, you are no longer in bondage and living a guilty and shame-filled, fearful life, but now you are a son, you are a daughter of God, you have been set apart for God and by God. And our desire is to follow Him, not out of duty, not out of obligation, but out of love. For we now stand completely righteous as if we've never sinned this is the gospel of grace and to miss grace is to miss the gospel itself christianity is not a list of do's and don'ts but it's a relationship with jesus christ our lord and savior and that is why paul was so passionate when he wrote this letter and i pray it's a good caution a good reminder and a good word for us today let us pray we love you and we praise you, Lord. We thank you for this word and we thank you for this call to liberty and we thank you for making it just clear in our hearts and our life this morning. And Lord, you do know every heart that is in this room. You know every concern, every pain, and every heart. And Lord Jesus, I lift them up each to you for the one who is here living from tradition and religion thinking that we're saved by works or feeling guilty because oh, Lord I pray by the power of your spirit that you will give them gospel freedom for those who are here that feel we can live in any way we want to and continue in our sin because it's covered by Jesus Lord I pray that you give us that gospel understanding that we are to live for you because it is you who lives in us and it's no longer us there's one here this morning that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. God, I pray that today would be the day before it's everlasting too late. God, I pray you know each soul. Lord, I pray for salvation in your house, for salvation in this community. Lord, for salvation in this country. Pray that you'd have your way. Lord, that you get the glory that you truly deserve. For it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand to your feet and respond in a way that is pleasing to the Lord? I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small, Child of weak.
heart and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus made it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now when he died, Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's loss and melt the heart of soul. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Thank you for being here in God's house this morning. We pray God's blessing upon each of you. Um, got a few announcements for you, and then we will be dismissed. Uh, just a reminder, our da daily Bible reading plan is going to be a little bit hectic this week as we're going to finish out Galatians, Galatians chapter 6. Then we'll be in Acts 17 and 18, and then we'll finish our week in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2. Um, so we are on days 51 through 55. Uh, and I pray that, uh, pray that the reading is going well. I pray that you are being encouraged by that. Um, uh, so far, if you, have, if you have any questions about that, we could be helped. Please let us know. Also, a reminder about our candy and egg donations. If you would bring those in, if you're willing to donate uh, plastic eggs or candy, uh, we would be so grateful for our Easter egg hunt. You can bring that in and put it in our foyer. Uh, we have a little receptacle in the back that you can put that in. Thank you so much for the ones who have already donated. Uh, but, and thank you for your willingness to come. I want to remind you, our Easter egg hunt is March the 29th. That's a Wednesday night from 5 to 7 p.m. It's going to be held at the Reedland Farley Ballpark. Uh, we're going to be having some games there. And we're going to have some, uh, we're going to split up the age division in some of the ball fields. And then we're going to have some hamburgers and uh, we're going to have some hamburger chip drink, things like that. We're going to have food. Uh, so 5 o'clock is when the food and everything starts. You want to be there from 5 to 7. Um, Easter egg hunt, March the 29th. If you have any questions about that, please let me know. And then also we see the Awana food drive that is through the month of March. They're collecting items for the PCM. Spaghetti noodles, sauce, hamburger helper, instant oatmeal, crackers, anything like that would be good for this food drive that they are collecting for PCM. Um, one other word of, for our children's minister search team. They have put together a survey for the entire congregation 
that we'd like to invite you to take part in. And I sent it out by a text message. I also sent it out by the church email. Um, and so if you have not filled that out yet, we want to encourage you to do so. And if you have not got that link and know how to do it, we, my phone number is right here on this little yellow page. Get one as you walk out. Text me. Text me, and I will get you that survey. We need at least 30 more to fill that out. We've already had several fill it out. Thank you for being willing to do that. Um, but if you would be willing, we'd love to have feedback from you as we enter into this process together. And speaking of children's ministry, next Sunday morning, March 19th, right after the morning service, we are going to have a, a luncheon, and it's going to talk about Vacation Bible School and all of our volunteers for Vacation Bible School, for Awana, for Nursery, um, for Children's Church. If you can be there, we would love to invite you. We're going we're gonna to get everybody on the same page, make sure everybody knows what's going on, seeing if there's any questions. So that'll be next Sunday, right after the AM service. We'll have probably pizza for you, something like that. Uh, but that will be March the 19th. If you have any questions, please let me know. I think that's all the information I have for you at this time. If you'll stand to your feet. It is so good to see everyone here this morning. As I said, it's great to see Ditton Wood. Uh, it's great to see Miss Cassie Rhodes. We are still praying for you and pray God's blessings upon you at this time. Uh, may God bless you. Uh, and it's good to have Russell and Kim Murphy here today, praying God's blessings upon you guys. Uh, but praise God for the opportunity to be in God's house. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we will be dismissed. Barry Herndon, would you mind leading us in a closing prayer?